completely reformed by God's grace and made uh, children of His forever and ever. And not just our lives, but the lives of a lot of people that we love and even more people in the future as we are faithful in our thankfulness to the Gospel that we have received to spread that Word and to share it in loving, gracious ways with people around us. And Paul says in one of the letters to the Corinthian church, uh, 2 Corinthians, he talks about how as, as, as more and more people come to faith, it raises up or it rises up in thanksgiving and glory and worship to God. And I think that that's, uh, that's a great thing that we should do, not just uh, once a year as a nation, but it's something that we should do every day as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. And what we're going to, to do right now is, is to pray to God before we go into the message. One of the things that I think we should be thankful for on a daily basis is the fact that God has blessed us with not just a book, but a divine inspired, a divinely inspired book. As we just sang about, that's, that's a lamp to, to our feet and, and a light in our path. And it's the way that our minds and our lives are directed towards God. And that's pray to God right now and thank Him for that book and thank Him for Him being with us in, 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 in our presence this morning as we worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's bow our heads and join our hearts. Father, I, I suppose that equal to the statement that John makes that had all of the miracles that Jesus had ever performed and ever did been written down all of the libraries of, of the world uh, could not contain the books that would be written. The same is true, Father, if all of the reasons for our thankfulness were ever written down. It would just be this infinite, infinite um, amount of, of gratitude and appreciation that, that, would, that would rise up to you as worship. We are so thankful for this book. And we are thankful that You have, have blessed us in such a way with this revelation that it allows us, Father, to see the greatness, the loveliness, the, the, the beauty of Your presence in such a way that we're overcome. We're overcome with love for You. That we see that love and we experience that love that You have for us and we're so transformed by it and just so changed by it, Father. The salvation the sacrifice, the desire for us, Father, even though we're sinners, we are overcome by it. And our hearts fill up with gratitude and thankfulness to You for this great gift. We pray to be humble before You, Father, and humble with this book as it speaks to us. I was reminded this morning that the great difference between You and us as human beings is that You, Father, never think of Yourself as a man. We pray to be humble and modest before You, Father, and to recognize the greatness of Your presence as our God and Father in this life. And we pray to take to heart everything that is given to us in this inspired Word. We pray that You give us eyes that see and ears that hear it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all the church said, you know, we've all heard of the Pony Express. It's a really important part of American history, especially uh, the history of the American West. And as you know, it started in St. Joe, Missouri in 1860. The end of the route was in Sacramento, California, about 2,000 miles away. And the way that the Pony Express operated was to take the mail. It was basically a mail 
delivery, a communication delivery system that the government had put together in the early, actually the middle part of the 19th century. And the way that it worked is you had a horse that would run as fast as it could with a rider on it with the mail, and it would go in 10-mile increments to the next station. The horse would be swapped out. It was, it was thought that a horse could go about 10 miles at a full gallop before it would drop, and it would take about 10 to 14 days to go from St. Joe, Missouri, in that way, every 10 miles swapping out a horse, going in a full gallop to Sacramento, California. And because it was about speed and it was about the rapidness of delivery, there were a lot of things to consider in the Pony Express Company. And that was the rider could not be more than 125 pounds. The letter itself had to be very, very thin. In fact, there was a, a very exorbitant price you had to pay if that letter got very big at all. The, 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 the saddle itself was tiny. There were very few provisions that were taken on this journey that these riders would take along the Pony Express routes. And the, the shoes that were used on the horse's hooves were very, very light. Everything that was put into that saddlebag and everything that was put into the, onto the belts and the pockets of that rider, everything had to be thought about in terms of weight, except one thing. The Pony Express Company thought, believed, and made it so that every rider that left and went out on their journey had a complete, full-size Bible in their bags. Pony Express Company thought that the Bible was essential for the journey. Now, we believe that too, but a lot of times we don't always treat that word as it should be treated in terms of, of, of pressing our mind into it and opening our hearts to it and, and listening to God speak to us through it. Now, one of the really important passages in the Bible is found over in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Peter says, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is My Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Do you know what that story is? It's the, the, the story that takes place on the Mount of Transformation. Uh, uh, verse 18, We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on that sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely what? Completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. One of the things that, that makes the Bible different from any other book in the world is that God's Word is a light shining in the darkness. God's Word is a light shining in the darkness. In fact, let's say that together as a church because it's a conviction come, coming from Scripture about the Bible. Let's say it together. The Word of God is a light shining in the darkness. 
you know, a couple of uh, uh, times over the last 12 years or so, we've had weather that was uh, strong enough and powerful enough and violent enough that it kind of knocked out the power. And if you're in a room or you're in your house, a lot of times if it happens during the middle of the day, there's enough light that's coming through those windows to be able to help you to navigate and negotiate and not stub your, your, your toes and, and, or, or, or kick your shins into some piece of, of furniture as you're trying to get around in that dark room. But when that happens and you happen to be working here in, in, a, in an office or a hallway that doesn't have any windows, it can get pitch black like you're down in the inside of a cavern where there is absolutely no light. There have been times when the lights have gone out and you're in your office, there's absolutely no natural light that is coming in and you can't even see your hands in front of your face. And because it's the 21st century, you know what you do? You pull out your cell phone. And you turn on that cell phone, it's an iPhone, and what do you do? You go to the apps and you go to which app? Flashlight app. And you turn on that app and the next thing you know you have a flashlight in your hand that used to be a phone, now it's a flashlight. But like a laser, it's cutting right through that darkness. That's what God is saying. That's what God is saying through Peter to all of the church of all of the age about the, the, the special nature of God's Word. There is a lot of darkness in the world. And it's not just physical darkness. What he's talking about is the, 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 the tremendous, profound depth of spiritual darkness in which the Word of God is a light that cuts through it just like a laser. Just like a laser in a dark room. And that's what makes this book different. Now, one of the ways that this book is different, it comes from a, a different place. It deals with its origin. If I decide one day that I want to write a book and I, I sit down in front of that computer and I've done all of the research and made all of my notes and kind of sketched out with a mind map or some kind of an outline, the kind of book and the storyline that I want it to, 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 to be like, then every word I write and on every page of every chapter in that entire book becomes my intellectual property. In a manner of speaking, that's what this is right here. This is God's intellectual property. Three times Peter makes the point that this book has divine origin. He says in verse 16, We're not following cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power. Then you go to verse 20 and he says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own what? Imagine, interpretation of things. And then you go to the very next verse, the last verse of this text, verse 21, Prophecy never had its what? Origin in the human. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the what? The Holy Spirit. When we are holding this book in our hand and we open it up and we are reading, we are reading God's intellectual property. The origin of these words did not come from a man's pen or from a man's imagination or a man's interpretation or some kind of a device story. The words that we read in this book were first birthed. They were first brought to bear in God's own heart and then transmitted to us through the Holy Spirit, which now leads to the second point, which is inspiration. What does it mean to be inspired? We've talked about this a little bit before. What we want to do this morning is maybe spiral into it a little bit uh, deeper but what does it mean to be inspired? Well, you know, you can think about it in terms of the creative spirit within a human being. If you listen to music by, by Beethoven, 
There are times when you say, you know, I could never do that. In fact, there are very few people who have ever lived in the, in the entire age of the world, the entire time that the world's been in existence, that could write that kind of music. His music was inspired. I particularly like Van Gogh's art. And there's something that's kind of inspiring in the way that he uses color and shapes and, 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 the, and the way that he, he sort of communicates something that was in his mind through the medium of, of oil paints. One of my favorite speakers of all time, Martin Luther King Jr., you listen to a speech and the, the, the words that he says and the way that he gives it, it can stir you. But that is not exactly what it means when, the Bible is, when we think of the Bible as being the inspired Word of God. You know, presently in Western contemporary culture, to be inspired means to be emotionally charged. One of the most overused words in the English language is the word amazing. I, I mean, I just had the most amazing milkshake at Sonic. You know, and we think, oh man, I'm so inspired by this milkshake or these tater tots. You know, it, it, we talk about people being amazing. We talk about food. We talk about a car. We talk about a movie. We talk about all of these amazing things. And yet none of that is really what is meant by biblical inspiration. It's not how we feel when we read the Bible, inspired and charged, and think we're looking at some great piece of art. Now, you will feel your heart burn as Scripture begins to make sense to you and you discover on all of its pages the central message, the core message, the core character that is being talked about. But inspiration refers to the content of the Bible and how it came to us. Inspiration refers to the content of the Bible and how it came to us. The Bible is amazing, but it's more than that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is what? Church, say it together. God breathed. God breathed. These are God's spirited words. These words came from within God Himself. Think back uh, to Genesis chapter 1 and the story of creation. In Genesis 1, God speaks. And creation out of nothing happens. God creates everything out of nothing. And we see the sun and the moon and the stars and the fish. And we even came about that way as well. In, in Genesis chapter 2, God scoops up dirt. And Genesis 2 verse 7, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and what? Breathed into his nostrils the what? Breath of life. And the man became a living being. I breathe every day, a million times in a year. Breathing is important to the life that I have, but my breath, my, my breathing, only generates life within myself by God's will. It doesn't create anything else. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became... A living being. The life of God within God is what makes you extraordinary and make, what makes me extraordinary. The fact that, that God breathed life into us and we became in the Hebrew a living soul, a living, breathing nephesh. That's why 
the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 that this God-breathed Word, 2 Timothy 3.16, is a Word of God that is what? Alive and active. Now I want to repeat a, a point that I made two weeks ago about the... You know, humans do play a part in the transmission of the Word of God. Their personalities came to bear in a way that the truth of God was not distorted, but in the way that it was worded. Think about the way that Luke investigated and researched everything before writing the Gospel in the book of Acts. He says in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, a lot of people, many, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. As we said two weeks ago, inspiration does not mean dictation. The Holy Spirit, in a manner of speaking, is the architect of truth. It is the Holy Spirit interacting with the mind of the writers and the talents of the writers, and the intellect of the writers to lead them into God's proper truth. In fact, that's what Jesus refers to the Spirit of God as. John chapter 16, verse 13, in talking to His disciples who were a little bit concerned about having the right kind of knowledge and being able to represent God the right way when they were being tried, He says, when He, who is He? He says, the Spirit of? He doesn't say the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit of truth. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, what's He going to do? He will guide you into all the truth. This book that we have was put together with people with all kinds of personality and all kinds of different vocabularies and, and different contexts and educational experiences and painful experiences and relational experiences. And, but they were led by God's Spirit to put down in, on, in pen and paper what God wanted to have said and transmitted to us through the ages. And because it is written by the Spirit of truth or guided by the Spirit of truth, truthfulness is an important part of this book that we embrace. God's truthfulness, God, because God is truthful, God's Word has to reflect that truthfulness as well, which means that because God is without sin and God is without error and God is without dishonesty, so too this book. Now there are times when you will hear people talk about the Bible contradicting itself. You know, the bottom line is the Bible doesn't really contradict itself at all. What it contradicts is me. And what I assume to be right and what I assume to be truth. What it contradicts is not itself, but it contradicts me. And the fact that the Bible speaks in such a way that it confronts me and it challenges me and it contradicts me is extremely important. There's a, a, a fellow up in New York City that's written several books, a fellow by the name of Tim Keller who writes about being able to read the Bible as a literal word from God. He says, if you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how would you ever have a personal relationship with God? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and you reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. You'll have a Stepford God. You don't want a God like that. You don't want a Stepford God, a God essentially of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction with. 
Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or marriage, will you know that you have gotten a hold of a real God and not a figment of your own imagination. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is the precondition for it. End of quote. And then finally, helpfulness. The Bible has a divine origin. It's divinely inspired. It it expresses divine truth. And it is incredibly helpful when it comes to living our lives. God's Word is helpful. And it's helpful. And, And this kind of relates to the truthfulness as well. You know, a couple of weeks ago, or about a month ago, I went to Brazil. Now, that's a long journey. And there's only a couple of flights out of the United States every day that goes to Brazil that you can catch. And so if you miss it, you're out of luck. Suppose I had an itinerary that said, you know what, your plane from Dallas to Sao Paulo, Brazil, is going to leave at 5 o'clock. But in reality, it was leaving at 3 o'clock. That itinerary is not doing me any good whatsoever. It's not helpful at all. Something is helpful insofar as it is truthful. That's why Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed. And because it's God-breathed and it represents God, it is useful, helpful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we're interacting with the Word of God, when, when our lives are intersecting the Word of God, our words and His words are intersecting in our heart, our mind, our soul every day, do you know what the Word of God does? The Word of God guides us. John uh, Skipworth and, and Daryl Hutchinson were talking this morning about how every day they read one chapter of Proverbs. I mean, every day, 31 chapters, 31 days in a month, every day they read Proverbs. Can you imagine how God has guided those two men in their lives by that kind of reading and that kind of of interacting with with a divinely truthful, helpful Word? The Word of God assists me and it challenges me. You may not believe this, but you know, if it wasn't for God's Word, I'd think about myself all the time. I would be self-centered. I would be selfish. I would be chasing every appetite and be chasing every desire and all of my heart's yearning. I would be chasing that every day, except that the Word of God challenges me to understand that that is a disastrous way to live and challenges me to understand in my living of this life that I'm not the only one, that there are lots of other people around me, but above even that, there is this God who created everything And that God who created everything created me. And as my Creator and as my God in this world, He challenges me to a different kind of a life, which, through God's Word, shapes me. Shapes me. Through reading the Sermon on the Mount, or reading the the fruit of the Spirit, or reading how through the letter of, of, uh, to the church in Ephesus, how we as a church, even though we are so completely different, we are all trophies of God's grace, that we all come together because of the cross, how we live together with one another. Our lives are shaped by this book. And it motivates me. It motivates me. When in those moments 
where my mind and my heart intersect the truthfulness of God's Word. With the help of His Spirit, and I, I begin to see Jesus in a way and, and, and to know Jesus in a way and to recognize Jesus in a way that, that I just left to my own devices, don't do it, and that heart begins to burn inside of me. Or I read the promises of God and I begin, my mind begins to understand what it is, even if it's you know, just an inch deep, what it is that God has prepared for me in heaven. It, just, it, it, it changes me and it motivates me to live a pure life. To live a life that is worthy of all of the blessing that I have received and experienced in God's good grace. And so what do we do? We treasure this book. We don't worship it. We don't idolize it. We don't place it above God, but we treasure this book. The words are worth more than gold to us. That's what David recognized. He said in Psalm 119, verse, 17, verse 72, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. You're on a desert island. You're given one thing that you can take with you. What are you going to take? David says, more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. The other thing you do is you traverse it. You treasure it and you traverse it. I mean, you just don't, you know, curse, curse in a cursory way, read this word and, and, and just read it quickly and just try to get through the, the reading for the day. You traverse it. You, you explore it. You mine deeply into it. You meditate upon it. You contemplate it. You reflect it. You traverse it. You explore it with all of the, that you have. All of your faculties. All of your capabilities. All of your capacities. You traverse this Word in such a way that it becomes a living part of you. And it confronts you. And it challenges you. And at times contradicts you. You traverse it. And then the last thing is we, we're just thankful for it. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for the way that God has revealed Himself. We're thankful for the way that God has revealed uh, 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 the, the possibility of salvation. That is, being saved from our sins, of, of, of being forgiven, of, of being given a clean conscience, of being given an opportunity to be God's children, His sons and His daughters, to be His family. To be thankful for the way that when we obey this Word and, and, and the ways that we allow this Word to shape us and to challenge us and to change the way that we live, that it actually, literally, in many of our cases, saves our lives. And not only keeps us out of trouble, but it puts us on a path for joy and a path, of, a, a path for blessing and, and a path for, for a, a life that has this sense of abundance about it. That's why we're thankful. That's why this book is not treated like any other book, like any other possession that we have. It's from God. And it's inspired. And it tells us the truth. And it helps us more than any other book in the world. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. And, and maybe you've never become a Christian. You've never become a child of God. That can happen today. Or maybe you're struggling 
with some of the things that the Word instructs our minds and, and our hearts to do on a daily basis. And you're just struggling with, with doing that. And what you need is some, some help. You need the prayers of your church family. You need, you need help understanding maybe the words of this book that come to us from God's Spirit of truth. Well, Ben's going to lead us in a song right now, and if that describes you, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Come down and talk to them about what's on your heart as we stand and praise God together. To be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant.